0: Today's message, we are dismissing children for Children's Church. That's ages fourth through first grade. And you can follow Ms. Polly Swartz and Hope West out the north door. So, guys, I I don't know if you picked this up. Eric kind of mentioned it in his prayer. You have two days till Valentine's Day. So, just want to let you know I got your back on that. And I understand it's a, it's a hallmark holiday. But it's okay to celebrate the wife of your youth. And let me say this to you, the single folks. You are not incomplete just because you are not married. Do not buy into that lie either. So, but I just want to have you know that. You know, not many of us enjoy the correction of another, do we? It can bring... Conflict. It can bring misunderstanding. It can bring uh, even, you know, just a, a questioning of the motives of the person sharing that with us. Well, why are they bringing that to us? And what about what they did and their shortcomings? Right? That can happen. But the truth of the matter is, somewhere along the line, sometimes we need somebody to get us back on track. We are jumping the tracks. And we need correction to get back on the right pathway. And that may come in a very diplomatic, tactful observation. It may come as a howling rebuke. But we need it nonetheless. Because the direction we're heading is destructive. Especially when it comes following the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing today. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, as Bob read today. But he is noticing that there's something cancerous that has been taking place in the church in Corinth, and he is addressing it. He brought some stinging correction. But because of that maybe harsh letter that led to some conflict, some suspicion, some misunderstanding, And so Paul sends another letter, and he sends his representative, Titus, to address this, to bring resolution between himself and this church that he planted so many years ago, and ultimately to bring repentance, to turn back toward the Lord. So let me pray for us very quickly, and then we'll dive in to what the Lord has for us. So Lord, we thank you that this is your word And you want us to respond to you in true repentance. And Lord, you want us to be your people who are speaking love, who are speaking truth in love to one another. So would you give us grace to do that, and would you give us grace to receive it as well? So open the eyes of our heart as we look into your word today and do your work in us. Make us your people in every way. Lord Jesus, you your name I pray these things. Amen. So, as you probably noticed, this letter, or at least this part, this chapter, is not necessarily a doctrinal section of this letter. Not as much as, it, say, chapters, you know, four and five, where it talks about we have this treasure in jars of clay, or, you know, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Oh, well, we're... Kind of feel like we're listening into a conversation on a phone or, or reading somebody's mail. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're reading somebody's mail. A pastor trying to bring resolution or um, restoring to a church that he has planted. But this is still God's Word and the Holy Spirit has worked. So we're going to make some observations more than look into, uh, I guess, doctrinal statements here so much. So six observations. And the first is this, and this is true about the whole New Testament period. There's no such thing as a conflict-free church. There's no such thing as a conflict-free church. This is true today here at Breeding Community Church. It was true throughout church history. I've been reading Eric Metaxas's biography on Martin Luther, holy cow, that's some crazy sauce going on there. And even right now in the first century, if you look, the church is learning to work things out amongst each other. Why? Because the church is made up of men and women who are flawed and are still struggling with sin. And yes, they're in the process of being more, made more like Jesus Christ, but that process is messy sometimes. Sometimes. And so we need to take care not to have a wish dream, as Pastor Neil talked about a few weeks ago, of a perfect church, a church that has no conflict because no such creature exists. Rather, we need to have our focus on the one who forgave and reconciled us to himself in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can forgive and be reconciled to one another. That's more realistic, it's more satisfying, and it's more biblical. The same author of this letter said this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's no such thing as a conflict-free church. Number two, misunderstanding happens more often than we think. Misunderstanding happens more often than we think. Again, Paul has sent a rebuking letter. And we don't know what for certain the offense was. We don't know whether it was a sexual sin that the Apostle Paul was addressing of his first letter to the Corinthians. Or we don't know whether it was putting up with false apostles, as he addresses in chapter 12 of this letter, or 11 of this this letter, or just rebellion against Paul and his apostleship, just not wanting to be under that, that authority. But there was something going on that was not healthy. And so Paul sends this stinging rebuke, and the initial, you know, response to it is Shocking. What's up with this? Is Paul yelling at us? Is he angry at us? Does he not love us? And what, how how can he talk like this to us? Is he trying to manipulate us? Is he trying to gaslight us? Is he trying to take advantage of us, right? So there's a question of not only how he said it, but what, what are his motives behind that? So the Apostle Paul realizes that those things are out there, and so he seeks to address them. He tries to reason with them and reassure them of his love. Verse 2, make room in your hearts. For we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. People, I'm not approaching you with mixed motives. They are genuine. We've not led anyone astray. Verse 3, I say this, not to condemn you. I've said that before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. Greatly encouraged. In all of our troubles, in all of our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Don't you understand? I am for you. I'm for you, Corinthians. I would live and die with you. I boast about what Christ has been doing in you. I'm encouraged by what you see. And because of this, even in my hardships, I seem to even find joy there. Now some might say, okay, he sent a tough letter. He told them the truth. And it was the truth. It was the truth. Accept it, deal with it, move on. And that sounds good, that sounds logical, but that's not the way our hearts work. It's like the wife who asks her husband, do you still love me? And the husband turns around and says, I told you I loved you at the altar. If anything changes, I'll let you know. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. And the Apostle Paul is trying to reassure the Corinthians of his love for them. Because they want to know, is our relationship on the chopping block here? Is your love for us contingent on our performance? Paul's extending this olive branch of understanding. He's going the extra mile of understanding. He's practicing what he wrote to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men, all women. How about you? How about me? Maybe our words have gone out there. And they're truthful words. They're right words. But maybe there's a chance that they're being misunderstood. Are we willing to go the extra mile to say, okay, let let me tell you the heart that's behind this. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. And maybe in humility even accept some responsibility for maybe how that could be misunderstood. Or are we we saying, I've said what i said, just deal with it how's that playing with your brothers and sisters in Christ your spouse with your kids don't let those things lay out there as misunderstandings go that extra mile so far as it depends upon you as it depends upon me if you can speak some some understanding into a conflict i'd encourage you to do it number 3 Remain anchored in the God of all comfort. Remain anchored in the God of all comfort. Verse 5. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Do You see that? He's in Macedonia, waiting to hear from them, from Titus, what their response is. And he's experiencing outward Persecution. Remember, if you read Acts, he had a rough go going through the region of Macedonia. In Philippi, he was beaten with rods. In Thessalonica, there was a crowd and a mob that threw him out of town. He went on to Berea, and then a crowd from Thessalonica followed him and ran them out of town there. So, Macedonia was a tough place. And when he returned, it didn't get any easier. So there was pressure without but also (laughs) inward turmoil. Because he's waiting there. He's waiting there to hear from from Titus. In fact, he says earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, he was in Troas, and you know what? The gospel was spreading, there was an opportunity, but he was so disturbed because he was not hearing from Titus, he left there and went back to Macedonia. He was wrestling with this, what? What's going to be their response? Are, they going, are we going to be separated from each other? Are we going to have a, a dividing line between us? You see, Paul had written this letter of correction with conviction and affection for them as Christ's apostle. He'd written them with correction and conviction and affection as being Christ's apostle, but listen to this. There was no guarantee that the Corinthians were going to respond in a right way. That it was going to turn out okay. He sent the letter, and now he's waiting to hear what's going to happen. There's no guarantee. He had to release that to the God of all comfort. Can you relate to that at all? doing all that you can and then having to wait to see what the response is going to be, having to to release that to God. Verse 6, but God. But God who comforts the downcast, reiterating the thought of being God of all comfort, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, who comforts us in our trouble. He comforted us by the coming of Titus. Finally, finally we hear word. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. <laughs> Paul had done everything he could in obedience to send this letter of correction And then he had to wait and release this to God, the God of all comforts. And God shows up in the person of Titus, so to speak. God comforts Paul with Titus' good report. First of all, that they received him well, that they gave him encouragement, they welcomed him, and they welcomed his message. But then personally for Paul, that they longed for him, They had great sorrow, even tears over the hurt between them and their concern for Paul. And Paul says, my, I had great joy. I had great joy. And so that the the troubles I was experiencing, those things melted away beyond the trouble that I was experiencing. What have you been as faithful as you can with before God? Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's conflict with a worker at, at uh, the place you are employed. Maybe it's health problems where you're not getting any real explanation about what's going on. Maybe it's an unforeseen financial setback. And you have to release it. I want to encourage you to remain faithful as you can. But release those things to the God of all comfort and see Him meet you. It's the truth of what the psalmist said in Psalm 34, verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, and they do, but God, the Lord, delivers him from them all. (laughs) God does not guarantee us a trouble-free life. He just guarantees to meet us within the midst of it. I'm in year 13 being here at Berean. And if many of you remember, when I first came, we had a house that was sold, then unsold, and remained unsold for three years. During my time, we had a, we've had tax problems, because our tax person did things wrong, and we had about a, I would say about $30,000 worth of tax debt to overcome. We've struggled with some unknown health issues in one of our daughters. Like we're not getting any answers. But in each one of those, God has met us. And I'm telling you that not to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you to say that He is faithful. He has met us. He will meet you as we continue to focus on the God of all comfort. Because there's a certain point where you've done all that you can do. And then you have to commit it to Him. And the God of all comfort will you. I also want to say this. <laughs> Within this, when Paul heard from Titus, it was a great clarifier of what is important. You see, of what really matters. When Paul found out that they responded well to his message, that they responded towards the Lord and what he had sent them. You know the troubles that he was experiencing up in Macedonia? Those things were still there. But they certainly melted as far as how important they were. Again, in our trouble, joy knows no bounds. In our trouble, joy knows no bounds, as he says at the the end of verse 4. Still there, but it's not as pressing as it seemed to be. Number four, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Number four, faithful are the wounds of the friend. Verse eight, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. This fits under the rubric of sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Or as the proverb writer wrote, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but many are the kisses of an enemy. The bottom line, the bottom line was that Paul loved the Corinthians enough to offend them. Paul loved the Corinthians enough to offend them. To cause them discomfort. To challenge them for their good. For their good. You know, as parents, we take our children to the dentist, right? Right? We take our children to the dentist. And what happens? They go see the dental hygienist who opens their mouth and then they floss. And they run floss almost up to their brain and their, their gums start bleeding. They say, oh, you haven't been brushing. No, you're trying to get your floss up into my brain. But that's another story. And they pick at the teeth. And they run a, you know, they clean them up. And then they x-ray them. And then if there's a cavity, what happens? Oh, look, a cavity. So they give you some Novocaine to try and numb the pain. And then they drill. And some of you are going post-traumatic syndrome, right? You just... Sometimes it's a painful process. But there's decay there that needs to be addressed. And if it doesn't get addressed, it rots and gets worse and worse. And can not only deal, give you a bad mouth, it can get into your bloodstream and be even worse and worse. It needs to be dealt with. We are willing to have our children go through some temporary discomfort for their good. A true friend who loves you, will tell you the painful truth when they see some decay in your soul, in your heart, in your love for Christ, in your soul. Ultimately, Paul is more concerned, really, he's more concerned about the Corinthians' response to the Lord than he is even about how they feel about him himself. And we'll see that here in a moment but I guess I ask the question, do you and I have friends who are close enough to us to tell us the painful truth? To bring up something that might be a little tender. And they're willing to address those things because they see decay in our hearts and our lives. Even if it's discomforting, they are willing to do that. And And us, are we willing to come alongside people and have those hard conversations, those uncomfortable conversations, even if it causes discomfort? But Remember the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You're not doing it out of unkindness. You're doing it out of love for that person and a faithfulness to them in friendship. And the length of discomfort, honestly, is usually as long as one is willing to receive it. If you're not willing to receive it, it kind of remains there. But if you receive it, typically the pain dissipates, doesn't it? Number five. True repentance is more about returning to God than regretting consequences. I'm going to say that again. Because if there's anything I want you to walk home with, it's this. True repentance is more about returning to God than regretting consequences. Verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So when we are confronted by somebody about our sin, our rebellion, whatever's going on, rot that's going on. What is our response? Is it godly sorrow that we realize our rebellion and disobedience has put a wedge between us and the living God? That it might even be hardening our hearts toward Him so that we don't even want to spend time with Him in His Word, in prayer, with His people. Oftentimes, people that are in rebellion, they want to get as far away as they can from the voice of God because they know, they already know that they've been distancing themselves by their rebellion. Or is our response when this happens, are we angry? Are we mad? Are we mad that God is bringing some consequences our way for Disobeying him, he's maybe bringing some some discipline there. We've gotten caught. We feel a sense of loss, and we're sad at the loss. We're sad, and we're mad at the consequences. You see, worldly sorrow brings death. I want to share a story with you from my own life, where I had a horrible response horrible response see I grew up in an awesome church had a wonderful youth group and on a ninth grade trip the ninth graders went out and it was a celebration of the end of the year we went up to Yosemite and it was a mixture of kids that were part of the church and the youth group and some kids were from the school you know it was kind of a, a mixture there and I, I was a good church kid. That was my identity. That's who I was. But I also like hanging out with the cool kids, too. So when we got there, and there were only three sponsors, and I think there were about 18 of us ninth graders, which was a mistake. The other leaders were coming later. Some of us took off for a while. And some of the cool kids brought alcohol and I knew it I knew it but I wanted to hang out with them so they busted out the beer and the champagne you know and I'm sitting there hanging out with them and then somebody hands it to me come on come on Nathan you just graduated from junior high that's how it worked in our system just take a swig you know I don't want to go into the gory details, but all I'm going to tell you is, after a while, I drank a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And soon, I found my equilibrium impaired. And I knew it. I knew what was going on. And my friends were getting more and more raucous and acting like fools. But I said, okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go back to my sleeping bag, going to go to sleep, and just sleep this off and pretend like it never happened, right? And as I said, all my supposed friends were acting like fools to the point where they were doing stupid things, and the counselors became aware that something had happened, and it was alcohol related. And so those those people got confronted in the morning, right? What are you thinking? What are you doing? And you know what their response was? Well, Nathan did it. Nathan did it. I felt betrayed. It's like, you guys put me out there to swing for your foolishness. And when I got back, they called my mom. I was grounded for a month. The senior pastor came and talked to me. I mean, I got full court press. And I was upset because my friends betrayed me. Because I was kind of like the sacrificial lamb. I was mad because I got caught. And I had a perfect plan not to get caught. And I was mad Because I knew better. Because I knew better. And my image as the good kid was shattered. That was not a godly repentance. I was angry because I got caught. I was angry because I got embarrassed. I wasn't angry because I had sinned against God and had let the spirit of alcohol take over rather than the Holy Spirit. And it really wasn't till later that I realized, Nathan, it's good you got caught. Because it showed some things in your heart. It showed that you're not exempt. You're not as strong as you think you are in resisting temptation. And number two, you have a problem with self-righteousness, buddy. You think you're better than others. Well, the same Christ had to die for you. So it was good that I got caught. And that later on led to a godly repentance. But I'll tell you, at the moment, it wasn't godly. Same thing happened to King David, right? When he sinned, he'd... when he found out that Bathsheba, whom he had an affair with, who was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, He tried to cover it up. And when he couldn't cover it up, he had him killed. And then the word of God was brought to him by Nathan the prophet. You are that man. And suddenly he was broken. And we get an account of it in Psalm 51 where he says, For I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. That's not completely true. Because he'd hurt others. But what David was trying to say, I realize ultimately I sinned against you, God. I have sinned against you. What I've done is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, ultimately... When David is brought to his senses, his sorrow is that I have sinned against the living God. I have I've cut myself off from hearing from him. The man who was a man after God's own heart was so distant from him. And so he has to return in repentance. But it also shows that God is a better redeemer than we are as sinners. And in this passage, the Corinthians are responding in repentance to do what they can to turn back toward the Lord, to remove that rebellion. So this is what he says in verse 11. See what godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter, so that even though I wrote you, it was neither on account of the one who did wrong, nor on account of the injured party. Rather, that is before God, that you could see yourselves, and how devoted you are to us you are. Paul saying, look, even in me bringing this to you, I'm not even so concerned about the, the party that, that offended or the offender, or the you know, the person that was offended. The offender or the, the one who was offended. But my point is, I was concerned about how you're responding to God. And I'm so grateful that you've done what it takes to remove those things out of the way. Whether they were this person, whether they're protecting this person, or whether they were just going along with it tacitly and approving. So that I'm not... <laughs> not so worried about restitution here. I'm really more concerned about you returning to the Lord and responding to Him in repentance and turning back to Him. Turning back to Him. How do you and I respond when we're confronted with our sin, with our rebellion, by the Word of God or even A brother or sister who sees that we are walking in a manner not worthy of God. When we get caught, we suffer the consequences. Are we angry? Are we resentful? Do we even leave? We take our ball and, and, you know, go because we don't like being under that criticism. Are we depressed saying, well, God is against me? Or are we broken and contrite? as as David talks about in Psalm 51, because there's a gap we've created between ourselves and the living God by our disobedience and we're not dealing with it. Or our behavior that is creating division in the body. Are we ready to turn back towards God? Are we ready to to take action even? Not just to say we're sorry, but to take action to remove what is creating that barrier. Because remember, repentance is about returning to God. And the good news is, He is always ready to take us back. 1 John one 1.9, passage I quote often when we take the Lord's Supper. If we confess our sin, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But remember, repentance is about returning to God rather than so much resenting or remorse for our consequences. Number six, there's a place for mediation between believers. There's a place for mediation between believers. Verse 13, by all this we are encouraged. In addition to our encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you. And you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. And I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. You know, typically when we talk about there's a rift between believers... We often look to the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. If your brother has sinned against you, go to him and show him his sin. And if he responds, then you have won your brother. And, and that's good. And then if that doesn't happen, you take another witness. Because, look, we're not trying to air anyone's dirty laundry in public. That's not the purpose. The purpose is restoration, right? Reconciliation. But sometimes that just isn't possible, We don't have that luxury, and we need another to intervene. In this case, it was Titus. He seems to be more effective than Paul's protege, Timothy, whom he sent in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where he was representing Paul, but they don't seem to be responding to him. Now listen to me. While Paul was He was a pretty metropolitan guy. He, you know, he crossed a lot of cultural lines and had those, those, you know, abilities. But Paul was a Jew. And sometimes he was probably viewed with suspicion because of that. Titus was a Greek, though. He was from the Macedonian region. He had that similar cultural background. He was similar to them. And even though he had never met them, he knew how to address them. He knew how to come alongside of them. He was able to engage them. Sometimes we need a mediator who knows somebody. You have a relationship with that person. Would you be willing to go to that person? And sometimes we need a mediator that knows something about somebody. Here would be an example, I think, in my own life. Ministry before this I was in North Platte, Nebraska. If you know anything about Nebraska, it's surrounded by an area called the Sand Hills. It's an area where there are lots of ranches, mostly ranches. And people who are out, I mean, you know, getting to, to Walmart is a 60-mile trip. And so if you want to minister to a Sandhill person, you have to be willing to go out to them and listen. And listen. And listen some more. Because number one, they are hungry for relationship because they're so far out in the boonies per se. But also because they don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you're just coming out there for a quick 15-minute conversation, they will probably write you off. You have to give them the time to let them visit with you, and you visit with them. Again, Titus was one of them. And it might have been nice for Paul to go himself to them, to appeal to this distant church. But Titus became the mediator. He became a peacekeeper. And you know what our Lord said about peacekeepers? Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they will be called sons of God. He was that mediator between Paul and the Corinthians. And in doing so, and going to them, he fell in love with them as well. As they received him, he had great affection, was so moved by how they had received him and received his message. Sometimes there needs to be a mediator. We'd like to go to that person personally, but sometimes we need someone else to go who has that relationship or knows how to address that particular person or that culture. And think about it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate mediator, is He not? Between God and ourselves and even amongst believers, even in our marriages, right? We can forgive and give grace because we've received grace from Him. So again, this is not a, so much a doctrinal passage, but it Tells us about relationships in the church, right? There's no conflict-free church. It's not there. Sometimes we need to go the extra mile of understanding. Sometimes we need to speak the truth in love. But in doing so, we need to lean upon the God of all comfort, even as we do that. And know that repentance ultimately is not so much between you and me. Sometimes it's really between us and God, to turn to Him first. And sometimes we need a mediator. Someone to step in. May God give us grace to be His mediators to a world that so desperately needs Him and bring forth His Word. So let me pray, and then Bobby, will you and the worship team come and close us? Lord, we're grateful for this Word. We are grateful that At the end of the day, you, Lord Jesus, are the one who is building your church. And even if there's conflict, you are there. You're there in the midst of it, and you're faithful to build your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Would you give us grace? To receive your grace and to be grace givers. To be gracious correctors and to be corrected but ultimately to lean on you as you have been with us every step of the way. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray these things. Amen.